Section thirteen of three essays on religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Three essays on religion by John Stuart Mill. Theism, section five. Part two. Attributes. The question of the existence of a deity, in its purely scientific aspect standing as is shown in the first part it is next to be considered given the indications of a deity what sort of deity do they point to what attributes are we warranted by the evidence which nature affords of a creative mind in assigning to that mind it needs no showing that the power if not the intelligence must be so far superior to that of man as to surpass all human estimate but from this to omnipotence and omniscience there is a wide interval and the distinction is of immense practical importance it is not too much to say that every indication of design in the cosmos is so much evidence against the omnipotence of the designer for what is meant by design contrivance the adaptation of means to an end but the necessity for contrivance the need of employing means is a consequence of the limitation of power who would have recourse to means if to attain his end his mere word was sufficient the very idea of means implies that the means have an efficacy which the direct action of the being who employs them has not otherwise they are not means but an encumbrance a man does not use machinery to move his arms if he did it could only be when paralysis had deprived him of the power of moving them by volition but if the employment of contrivance is in itself a sign of limited power how much more so is the careful and skilful choice of contrivances can any wisdom be shown in the selection of means when the means have no efficacy but what is given to them by the will of him who employs them and when his will could have bestowed the same efficacy on any other means wisdom and contrivance are shown in overcoming difficulties and there is no room for them in a being for whom no difficulties exist the evidences therefore of natural theology distinctly imply that the author of the cosmos worked under limitations that he was obliged to adapt himself to conditions independent of his will and to attain his ends by such arrangements as those conditions admitted of and this hypothesis agrees with what we have seen to be the tendency of the evidence in another respect we found that the appearances in nature point indeed to an origin of the cosmos or order in nature and indicate that origin to be design but do not point to any commencement still less creation of the two great elements of the universe the passive element and the active element matter and force there is in nature no reason whatever to suppose that either matter or force or any of their properties were made by the being who was the author of the collocations by which the world is adapted to what we consider as its purposes or that he has power to alter any of those properties it is only when we consent to entertain this negative supposition that there arises a need for wisdom and contrivance in the order of the universe the deity had on this hypothesis to work out his ends by combining materials of a given nature and properties out of these materials he had to construct a world in which his designs should be carried into effect through given properties of matter and force working together and fitting into one another 
this did require skill and contrivance and the means by which it is effected are often such as justly excite our wonder and admiration but exactly because it requires wisdom it implies limitation of power or rather the two phrases express different sides of the same fact if it be said that an omnipotent creator though under no necessity of employing contrivances such as man must use thought fit to do so in order to leave traces by which man might recognize his creative hand the answer is that this equally supposes a limit to his omnipotence for if it was his will that men should know that they themselves and the world are his work he being omnipotent had only to will that they should be aware of it ingenious men have sought for reasons why god might choose to leave his existence so far a matter of doubt that men should not be under any absolute necessity of knowing it as they are of knowing that three and two make five these imagined reasons are very unfortunate specimens of casuistry but even did we admit their validity they are of no avail on the supposition of omnipotence since if it did not please god to implant in man a complete conviction of his existence nothing hindered him from making the conviction fall short of completeness by any margin he chose to leave it is usual to dispose of arguments of this description by the easy answer that we do not know what reasons the omniscient may have had for leaving undone things which he had the power to do it is not perceived that this plea itself implies a limit to omnipotence when a thing is obviously good and obviously in accordance with what all the evidences of creation imply to have been the creator's design and we say we do not know what good reason he may have had for not doing it we mean that we do not know to what other still better object to what object still more completely in line of his purposes he may have seen fit to postpone it but the necessity of postponing one thing to another belongs only to limited power omnipotence could have made the object compatible omnipotence does not need to weigh one consideration against another if the creator like a human ruler had to adapt himself to a set of conditions which he did not make it is as unphilosophical as presumptuous in us to call him to account for any imperfections in his work to complain that he left anything in it contrary to what if the indications of design prove anything he must have intended he must at least know more than we know and we cannot judge what greater good would have had to be sacrificed or what greater evil incurred if he had decided to remove this particular blot not so if he be an omnipotent if he be that he must himself have willed that the two desirable objects should be incompatible he must himself have willed that the obstacle to his supposed design should be insuperable it cannot therefore be his design it will not do to say that it was but that he had other designs which interfered with it for no one purpose imposes necessary limitations on another in the case of a being not restricted by conditions of possibility omnipotence therefore cannot be predicated of the creator on grounds of natural theology the fundamental principles of natural religion as deduced from the facts of the universe negative his omnipotence they do not in the same manner exclude omniscience if we suppose limitation of power there is nothing to contradict the supposition of perfect knowledge and absolute wisdom but neither is there anything to prove it the knowledge of the powers and properties of things necessary for planning and executing the arrangements of the cosmos is no doubt as much in excess of human knowledge as the power implied in creation is in excess of human power and the skill the subtlety of contrivance the ingenuity 
as it would be called in the case of a human work is often marvellous but nothing obliges us to suppose that either the knowledge or the skill is infinite we are not even compelled to suppose that the contrivances were always the best possible if we venture to judge them as we judge the works of human artificers we find abundant defects the human body for example is one of the most striking instances of artful and ingenious contrivances which nature offers but we may well ask whether so complicated a machine could not have been made to last longer and not to get so easily and frequently out of order we may ask why the human race should have been so constituted as to grovel in wretchedness and degradation for countless ages before a small portion of it was enabled to lift itself into the very imperfect state of intelligence goodness and happiness which we enjoy the divine power may not have been equal to doing more the obstacles to a better arrangement of things may have been insuperable but it is also possible that they were not the skill of the demiogus was sufficient to produce what we see but we cannot tell that this skill reached the extreme limit of perfection compatible with the material it employed and the forces it had to work with i know not how we can even satisfy ourselves on grounds of natural theology that the creator foresees all the future that he foreknows all the effects that will issue from his own contrivances there may be great wisdom without the power of foreseeing and calculating everything and human workmanship teaches us the possibility that the workman's knowledge of the properties of the things he works on may enable him to make arrangements admirably fitted to produce a given result while he may have very little power foreseeing the agencies of another kind which may modify or counteract the operation of the machinery he has made perhaps a knowledge of the laws of nature on which organic life depends not much more perfect than the knowledge which man even now possesses of some other natural laws would enable man if he had the same power over the materials and the forces concerned as he has over some of those of inanimate nature to create organized beings not less wonderful nor less adapted to their conditions of existence than those in nature assuming then that while we confine ourselves to natural religion we must rest content with a creator less than almighty the question presents itself of what nature is the limitation of his power does the obstacle at which the power of the creator stops which says to it thus far shalt thou go and no further lie in the power of other intelligent beings or in the insufficiency and refractoriness of the materials of the universe or must we resign ourselves to admitting the hypothesis that the author of the cosmos though wise and knowing was not all wise and all knowing and may not always have done the best that was possible under the conditions of the problem the first of these suppositions has until a very recent period been and in many quarters still is the prevalent theory even of christianity though attributing and in a certain sense sincerely omnipotence to the creator the received religion represents him as for some inscrutable reason tolerating the perpetual counteraction of his purposes by the will of another being of opposite character and of great though inferior power the devil the only difference on this matter between popular christianity and the religion of almost an araman is that the former pays its good creator the bad compliment of having been the maker of the devil and of being at all times able to crush and annihilate him and his evil deeds and counsels which nevertheless he does not do but as i have already remarked all forms of polytheism and this among the rest are with difficulty reconcilable with a universe governed by general laws obedience to law is the note of a settled government and not of a conflict always going on when powers are at war with one another for the rule of the world 
the boundary between them is not fixed but constantly fluctuating this may seem to be the case on our planet as between the powers of good and evil when we look only at the results but when we consider the inner springs we find that both the good and the evil take place in the common course of nature by virtue of the same general laws originally impressed the same machinery turning out now good now evil things and oftener still the two combined the division of power is only apparently variable but really so regular that we speaking of human potentiates we should declare without hesitation that the share of each must have been fixed by previous consent upon that supposition indeed the result of the combination of antagonist forces might be much the same as on that of a single character with divided purposes but when we come to consider not what hypothesis may be conceived and possibly reconciled with known facts but what supposition is pointed to by the evidences of natural religion the case is different the indications of design point strongly in one direction the preservation of the creatures in whose structure the indications are found along with the preserving agencies there are destroying agencies which we might be tempted to ascribe to the will of a different creator but there are rarely appearances of the recondite contrivance of means of destruction except when the destruction of one creature is the means of preservation to others nor can it be supposed that the preserving agencies are wielded by one being the destroying agencies by another the destroying agencies are a necessary part of the preserving agencies the chemical compositions by which life is carried on could not take place without a parallel series of decompositions the great agent of decay in both organic and inorganic substances is oxidation and it is only by oxidation that life is continued for even the length of a minute the imperfections in the attainment of the purposes which the appearances indicate have not the air of having been designed they are like the unintended results of accidents insufficiently guarded against or of a little excess or deficiency in the quantity of some of the agencies by which the good purpose is carried on or else they are consequences of the wearing out of a machinery not made to last for ever they point either to shortcomings in the workmanship as regards its intended purpose or to external forces not under the control of the workman but which forces bear no mark of being wielded and aimed by any other and rival intelligence we may conclude then that there is no ground in natural theology for attributing intelligence or personality to the obstacles which partially thwart what seem the purposes of the creator the limitation of his power more probably results either from the qualities of the material the substances and forces of which the nature is composed not admitting of any arrangements by which his purposes could be more completely fulfilled or else the purposes might have been more fully attained but the creator did not know how to do it creative skill wonderful as it is was not sufficiently perfect to accomplish his purposes more thoroughly we now pass to the moral attributes of the deity so far as indicated in the creation or stating the problem in the broadest manner to the question what indications nature gives of the purposes of its author this question bears a very different aspect to us from what it bears to those teachers of natural theology who are encumbered with the necessity of admitting the omnipotence of the creator we have not to attempt the impossible problem of reconciling infinite benevolence and justice with infinite power in the creator of such a world as this the attempt to do so not only involves absolute contradiction in an intellectual point of view but exhibits to excess the revolting spectacle of a jesuitical defence of moral enormities on this topic i need not add to the illustrations given in this portion of the subject to my essay on nature at the stage which our argument has reached there is none of this moral perplexity 
grant that creative power was limited by conditions the nature and extent of which are wholly unknown to us and the goodness and justice of the creator may be all that the most pious believe and all in the work that conflicts with those moral attributes may be the fault of the conditions which left to the creator only a choice of evils it is however one question whether any given conclusion is consistent with known facts and another whether there is evidence to prove it and if we have no means for judging of the design but from the work actually produced it is a somewhat hazardous speculation to suppose that the work designed was of a different quality from the result realized still though the ground is unsafe we may with due caution journey a certain distance on it some parts of the order of nature give much more indication of contrivance than others many it is not too much to say give no sign of it at all the signs of contrivance are most conspicuous in the structure and processes of vegetable and animal life but for these it is probable that the appearances in nature would never have seemed to the thinking part of mankind to afford any proofs of a god but when a god had been inferred from the organization of living beings other parts of nature such as the structure of the solar system seemed to afford evidences more or less strong in confirmation of the belief granting then a design in nature we can best hope to be enlightened as to what that design was by examining it in the parts of nature in which its traces are the most conspicuous to what purpose then do the expedients in the construction of animals and vegetables which excite the admiration of naturalists appear to tend there is no blinking the fact that they tend principally to no more exalted object than to make the structure remain in life and in working order for a certain time the individual for a few years the species or race for a longer but still a limited period and the similar though less conspicuous marks of creation which are recognized in inorganic nature are generally of the same character the adaptations for instance which appear in the solar system consist in placing it under conditions which enable the mutual action of its parts to maintain instead of destroying its stability and even that only for a time vast indeed if measured against our short span of animated existence but which can be perceived even by us to be limited for even the feeble means which we possess of exploring the past are believed by those who have examined the subject by the most recent lights to yield evidence that the solar system was once a vast sphere of nebula or vapour and is going through a process which in the course of ages will reduce it to a single and not very large mass of solid matter frozen up with more than the arctic cold if the machinery of the system is adapted to keep itself at work only for a time still less perfect is the adaptation of it for the abode of living beings since it is only adapted to them during the relatively short portion of its total duration which intervenes between the time when each planet was too hot and the time when it became or will become too cold to admit of life under the only conditions in which we have experience of its possibility or we should perhaps reverse the statement and say that organization and life are only adapted to the conditions of the solar system during a relatively short portion of the system's existence the greater part therefore of the design of which there is indication in nature however wonderful its mechanism is no evidence of any moral attributes because the end to which it is directed and its adaptation to which end is the evidence of it being directed to an end at all is not a moral end it is not the good of any sentient creature it is but the qualified permanence for a limited period of the work itself whether animate or inanimate the only inference that can be drawn from most of it respecting the character of the creator is that he does not wish his work to perish as soon as created he wills them to have a certain duration 
from this alone nothing can be justly inferred as to the manner in which he is affected towards his animate or rational creatures after deduction of the great number of adaptations which have no apparent object but to keep the machine going there remain a certain number of provisions for giving pleasure to living beings and a certain number of provisions for giving them pain there is no positive certainty that the whole of these ought not to take their place among the contrivances for keeping the creature or its species in existence for both the pleasures and the pains have a conservative tendency the pleasures being generally so disposed as to attract to the things which maintain individual or collective existence the pains so as to deter from such as would destroy it when all these things are considered it is evident that a vast deduction must be made from the evidences of a creator before they can be counted as evidences of a benevolent purpose so vast indeed that some may doubt whether after such a deduction there remains any balance yet endeavouring to look at the question without partiality or prejudice and without allowing wishes to have any influence over a judgment it does appear that granting the existence of design there is a preponderance of evidence that the creator desired the pleasure of his creatures this is indicated by the fact that pleasure of one description or another is afforded by almost everything the mere play of the faculties physical and mental being a never-ending source of pleasure and even painful things give pleasure by the satisfaction of curiosity and the agreeable sense of acquiring knowledge and also that pleasure when experienced seems to result from the normal working of the machinery while pain usually arises from some external interference with it and resembles in each particular case the result of an accident even in cases when pain results like pleasure from the machinery itself the appearances do not indicate that contrivance was brought into play purposely to produce pain what is indicated is rather a clumsiness in the contrivance employed for some other purpose the author of the machinery is no doubt accountable for having made it susceptible of pain but this may have been a necessary condition of its susceptibility to pleasure a supposition which avails nothing on the theory of the omnipotent creature but is an extremely probable one in the case of a contriver working under the limitations of inexorable laws and indestructible properties of matter the susceptibility being conceded as a thing which did enter into design the pain itself usually seems like a thing undesigned a casual result of the collision of the organism with some outward force to which it was not intended to be exposed and which in many cases provision is even made to hinder it from being exposed to there is therefore much appearance that pleasure is agreeable to the creator while there is very little if any appearance that pain is so and there is a certain amount of justification for inferring on grounds of natural theology alone that benevolence is one of the attributes of the creator but to jump from this to the inference that his sole or chief purposes are those of benevolence and that the single end and aim of creation was the happiness of his creatures it is not only not justified by any evidence but it is a conclusion in opposition to such evidence as we have if the motive of the deity for creating sentient beings was the happiness of the beings he created his purpose in our corner of the universe at least must be pronounced taking past ages and all countries and races into account to have been thus far an ignominious failure and if god had no purpose but our happiness and that of other living creatures it is not credible that he would have called them into existence with the prospect of being so completely baffled if man had not the power by the exercise of his own energies for the improvement of both himself and his outward circumstances to do for himself and other creatures vastly more than god had in the first instance done the being who called him into existence would deserve something very different from thanks at his hands 
of course it may be said that this very capacity of improving himself and the world was given to him by god and that the change which he will be thereby enabled ultimately to effect in human existence will be worth purchasing by the suffering and wasted lives of an entire geological period this may be so but to suppose that god could not have given him these blessings at a less frightful cost is to make a very strange supposition concerning the deity it is to suppose that god could not in the first instance create anything better than a bosjesman or an andaman islander or something still lower and yet was able to endow the bosjesman or the andaman islander with the power of raising himself into a newton or a fenelon we certainly do not know the nature of the barriers which limit the divine omnipotence but it is a very odd notion of them that they enable the deity to confer on an almost bestial creature the power of producing by a succession of efforts what god himself had no other means of creating such are the indications of natural religion in respect to the divine benevolence if we look for any other of the moral attributes which a certain class of philosophers are accustomed to distinguish from benevolence as for example justice we find a total blank there is no evidence whatever in nature for divine justice whatever standard of justice our ethical opinions may lead us to recognize there is no shadow of justice in the general arrangement of nature and what imperfect realization it obtains in any human society a most imperfect realization as yet is the work of man himself struggling upwards against immense natural difficulties into civilization and making to himself a second nature far better and more unselfish than he was created with but on this point enough has been said in another essay also referred to on nature these then are the net results of natural theology on the question of the divine attributes a being of great but limited power how or by what limited we cannot even conjecture of great and perhaps unlimited intelligence but perhaps also more narrowly limited than his power who desires and pays some regard to the happiness of his creatures but who seems to have other motives of action which he cares more for and who can hardly be supposed to have created the universe for that purpose alone such is the deity whom natural religion points to and any idea of god more captivating than this comes only from human wishes or from the teaching of either real or imaginary revelation we shall next examine whether the light of nature gives any indications concerning the immortality of the soul and a future life end of theism section five recording by sunny shields doha state of qatar june two thousand and eleven